I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People don't realize if you're not living in social housing just how bad things are. From when they hung the phone up on me, I said to myself, now I have a point to prove. What are some of the worst conditions that you've seen? I could be here for an hour. Their houses have been flooded with boiling hot water. One lady sustained life-changing burns as a result of that. Her daughter's rubber welly were melted. It was that hot. Cockroaches, damp, mould, ceilings collapsing on top of people. I've had cupboards collapsing and knocking one lady unconscious. They're not giving enough, yet they're going to come out and beg for our votes, and it's a shame. It really is a sad state of affairs. I don't care who it is. I don't care what your views are. I'll call out absolutely whoever it is that I don't think is doing their job. What's up, guys? And welcome back to Working Hard, Hardly Working. Today's episode, I was so excited to talk to Quajo. He is a fucking superstar. The work he's done is incredible. I remember seeing his first tweet blow up a few years ago now. And I've just been in awe of his work, but also just completely disgusted by the state of the UK's social housing as, what, the sixth richest nation in the world? How the fuck are we in this situation? And I think that if you don't know what I'm talking about now, and if this maybe isn't your usual type of podcast episode to listen to because you're here for the business stuff, stick around and listen to some of this because I think you too will be truly shocked. And I think that things like this that are so ubiquitous in the UK, I think, what, 2 million homes are in these conditions in the UK? When these problems are so ubiquitous and when they're so kept under wraps, we need to be talking about them. And by talking about them, we go at least a bit of the way in terms of helping the situation and understanding just how much we need change and reform to be able to make people's kind of lives better. So I know this isn't the usual type of episode in terms of talking to business people, but I mean, in my opinion, it's far more important and I hope that you'll give it a listen. Definitely go and give a follow to Quajo on social media as well, because fucking hell is he doing a hell of a lot of work that other people should be doing. I'm so impressed and absolutely loved our conversation. I'm really glad I got to hear it. Quajo Twenaboa is known as the hero of social housing. At just 23 years old, he is a campaigner demanding urgent reform in public sector housing. Amid the housing crisis, Quajo has emerged as an influential voice online for social housing tenants, known best for naming and shaming some of the largest accommodation associations in the UK. Haunted by memories of his own housing hell, Quajo joined the fight to improve conditions after his father, a care worker, died in their family home among a sea of cockroaches, mould and vermin. After publicly exposing his landlord for ignoring calls and breaching standards, Quajo channeled his anguish and became an active proponent for nationwide change, his campaign backed by nearly 62,000 followers on Twitter. While a picture-perfect image for social housing still seems a world away, Quajo's work on behalf of tortured tenants has begun to make a real difference, his work sparking recent conversations among significant journalists and MPs. 
I really wanted to have Quajo on today to raise more awareness about the social housing issue in the UK and talk about his work and what we can do to help. Thanks so much for yeah. joining me. No, thank you. <laughs> I want to start at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. From what I've heard of your story and the kind of initial point of you getting into this work was that you were living in the Eastfields estate Correct. in South yeah. London mm -hmm. um, and you, you've kind of described the housing that you were provided as having no ceiling in the main room, mm -hmm. mouldy walls, an infestation of vermin, water streaming through light fittings and asbestos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the same kind of estate and the people who you knew around you or people mm. who kn you knew who were kind of living in council housing, was their experience quite similar? Do you think that yours was particularly bad or was it that oh, something no. that you were seeing? No, no, no. I mean, in the beginning, I did think it was that we were the only sort of case I didn't really know because no one really talks about it, especially in social housing or mm. talked about it because of the stigma and the shame that came along of with course, it. Yeah. And even for us, we didn't want to talk 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 about it and it wasn't until I had just had enough and went to social media shared it that I started learning that other people had been living in those sorts of conditions um, via social media but then also knocking on every single door of my estate and going into um, tenants and neighbours homes and seeing they're living in much worse conditions I mean one lady 27 years she had been complaining for um, about rodents and mice and she had she's in her 60s and had to go and buy cement from B&Q mix it in her living room and fill the holes try to fill the holes herself and it didn't fix the issue but that's how desperate um, people were and are and people don't realise if you're not living mm. in social housing just how bad things are because one tenants are ashamed and are normally blamed for it yeah. when it's not their fault because they're paying for a service they're not receiving and that is paying their landlord rent and they're not yeah. receiving the service to fix issues within their home and um to the stigma that comes along with just being a social housing tenant yeah of course what made you take to social media at this point i was annoyed i was very very frustrated i mean my dad had passed away in 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 those sorts of conditions and we had complained to the housing provider and the housing provider had known that my dad was ill living in those conditions and known about the whole situation when they were approached by the the news but the reason i initially went to my well my social media and shared it on social media is because we was just being ignored i'd been complaining about mumps my ceiling had been missing there was lights filled with water there was uh, damp there was mold the kitchen was old there was mice running around the homes cockroaches and they just wouldn't come out and wouldn't listen. I got to a point where I'd been phoning, I was at work, I'd been stressing myself out, I'd been sp spending more time on the phone at work trying to get through to them on a daily basis than I was actually doing work. And it started to get to the point where I just thought they're not going to listen. And mm. they hung the phone up on me one day when I phoned them up to, to complain and they said, we're really busy, we're not coming out today and put the phone down on me. And that's when I realised the penny really dropped. And I thought to myself, they're not coming out. I've had enough of them. Yeah. I, I thought it, it, the ball has been in their court for too long. And I said, I'm going to, so I'm just going to turn yeah. to social media. And what's the worst that can happen? People slag me off for the conditions that I live in when it's clearly not my fault. And I did, I shared it. And I mean, I was overwhelmed by the amount of messages of people firstly saying that they were too living in similar conditions, but completely outraged that people were paying rent and being forced yeah. to live in these conditions. And in my case, by the biggest housing association in Europe, mm. They knew I wasn't a lone case. This must have been happening across the country. And then I went on later to prove it absolutely was. Yeah. I think there's this huge misconception. I mean, there are many misconceptions mm. around social housing. But I also think that, you know, one of the biggest ones is people, when you see people commenting on line saying whatever, mm. what people don't understand as well is like, 
you are paying rent mm. to be in the, like in Absolutely. this situation. It's subsidized housing, it's social housing. We should have access to like the welfare. Mm. And you're paying rent to be in a situation. Imagine mm. if you were, you know, it, it, people mm. who are not in social housing. Imagine mm. if you had a landlord and were there and your ceiling was missing and there were vermin and all of these things. And because it's the state, you literally cannot get through to them. Yeah. Like it's a very different scale mm. and they really can and have ignored so many people for mm. you to be able to get to that point. Mm. And when you then did share that on Twitter, what happened? I mean, it went viral pretty mm. much. Instantly, I mean, within an hour, probably retweeted over a thousand times comments in the section. And this Same. was about, I think I shared it at like 10 a.m. Yeah. People were at work and it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. And um, then I started having journalists reach out and journalists picked it up and whatnot. And a local journalist picked up or a London-based journalist picked up my um, my individual story, first of all. So that was shared um, in the, the news, but then the housing provider, even after learning about my dad's story, this living situation, the fact that we've been living in those conditions for absolutely years, turned around and I will never forget the quote they used. And that was, we're sorry that Quajo feels as though he hasn't received the service he deserved. That was after my dad passing away in those conditions. That was after not having a ceiling over winter. That was after cockroaches and mice. That was after all of that. And they turned around and said, we're sorry, Quajo feels as though he hasn't received service. That to me wasn't an apology. No, and I that's said, not an it apology. Was a, it was an absolute insult. And I said to myself that day, I said, I'm not going to ring them up again. If they want to play that game, it won't be me contacting them now. It will be national journalists. And that's absolutely what happened. That's absolutely what happened because I then went on and done the exact same around my estate and went around with two other people on my estate and knocked on uh, every single door, put a letter in every single door. And by the time I'd gone from one end to the other, I was getting messages already. I was getting phone really? calls of tenants. Yeah. Um, and it was about a few hours. Yeah. And then it was for the next few weeks, it was constant. And ITV News then picked it up and came down and we filmed... For around two weeks, um, and I helped them, we organised it. Everyone on the state sort of came together and was helping yeah. organise this, get people that we're filming with, etc. And it went out as a top story on national news. And Amazing. from that moment, they were absolutely shamed and disgraced into responding. And since then, they've had to carry out over 700 repairs on my estate alone Amazing. and replace about 40 kitchens, 40 bathrooms. Yeah. This is, and if, if that hadn't happened, I, I mean, my estate won't be knocked down for another about five to 10 years, it could be. They would have let people live in those conditions for the next five to 10 years. 100%. And done nothing. It's just, I mean, it's infuriating. It's unbelievable. And the fact that it had to happen through them being essentially shamed mm. and kind of to a point of them feeling like they couldn't ignore it because suddenly they had always been the more powerful ones mm. and suddenly you've got this kind of power behind you and awareness through purely stating the facts. Mm. I just think that even the fact that everyone who saw your mm. tweet or saw the ITV stuff or any of that was so appalled shows just how much they're kind of mm. very much trying to keep this under wraps and the fact that I mean it, it serves them to have this stigma mm. Mm. Um, and it serves them to have something where it's like oh we can't really talk about mm. it because if you're kept silent you're kept silent mm. and thank god for you being able to actually have the strength to do that and then yeah. go on and make it into something so amazing and mm. so effective mm. and how has your life changed since then well I mean on that first point from when they hung the phone up on me I said to myself now I have a point to prove I have a yeah. point to prove and I want to make sure I do mm. and I thought they probably think I'm a 23 year old working class boy from an estate mm. why the hell do we need to listen to him 
And I said, that's the, they've underestimated me and I'm going to make sure they know, know about it. And from the day that they hung the phone up on me and I told myself they won't be hearing from me, it will be journalists. On that day, I'd say the only person that knew about me in that organisation was the, the, the surveyor that was coming around and doing absolutely nothing. And a matter of days later, everyone from him to the CEO of the organisation knew exactly who I was and that's exactly what I wanted. Because if I could stop another family, another sick individual being forced to live in those sorts of conditions and go through what it was that my dad did. And I, I wasn't able to help him then. Mm. And I wasn't able, if the situation had changed now, I probably could, but I couldn't then. But I was going to make sure that they as an organisation wouldn't get away with it. And I, I mean, I can say it. I, I, I'm probably the worst thing that's happened to that organisation um, since they've started. And I'm, I'm glad about yeah. it. I'm glad because it's it's shown them that they can't just mug people off and mug social housing. Their tenants, the ones that are paying their wages and just treat them any which way they like, it's not going to continue to happen. Mm. And the, I think the fact that I'm 23 made it feel even better to me because it's then shown other young people out there that it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your background or where you're from. If something's wrong, you stand up for it. And it doesn't matter if you're standing up against the biggest CEO to, to an organisation in Europe or whoever it is, you, your voice matters just as much as because they wouldn't live in those sorts of conditions. Yeah. How my life has changed since then, it's just completely spiralled. I mean, yeah. once I started and I saw that it was making change in my situation, I said to myself, I mean, I couldn't just pull up the ladder behind me. I just couldn't do that. I yeah. wouldn't feel comfortable being sat in my house after it had been repaired. Finally, after years, knowing that my neighbours were going through the exact same thing and they're still there suffering. So I decided to continue doing that. And then I went around their local estates that was run by the same housing provider, exact same conditions. And then I had people reaching out from different parts of London, different housing providers, local authorities and housing associations. And I was going and shaming them publicly too. And it built this presence because people then learned that, oh my gosh, this is the guy that's disgracing landlords mm. for poor living conditions and they really did if it wasn't for social media and people on social media I wouldn't be here um, and they really truly backed it and I, I learned then that the the biggest cost to an organization and housing provider and local authority is bad PR mm -hmm. and being shamed and I learned that was the key and that's something I carried from the very very beginning and it's got me to this point too because it wasn't just housing providers it was also, it's also MPs that have been shaming yeah people of high positions that are supposed to be doing the job that I'm doing for free mm. that I'm going around doing for free they're paid to do and things started moving people and organizations news were reaching out to me asking me about it and it sort of I fell into the position of being called an activist and campaigner mm. and I just decided I'm going to go around the country and do it and yeah. it's picked up massively I mean, the government caught on to it and saw what it was that I was doing. And everyone admitted that no one should be living in th these sorts of conditions. So, from And you shouldn't know you're having to do their work. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But from that, that moment, I said, OK, we mm. all agree. We're all on the same page that no one should be doing or living in these sorts of conditions. So mm. the question is now, it's, it's no longer debating that. It's how do we change this and what we're going to do to fix it? Because mm. this isn't, hasn't been going on for the year I've been going around with my iPhone in tenants' homes. It's been going on for the last 40 years and they've been very much aware of it, but mm. not seen it as a priority because they're not living in, in it mm. and they're living in ivory towers and comfortable homes. They don't have to see it as an issue. And it's a massive culture issue and culture problem, especially in this country. There's many people out there that think, oh, there's this social issue or there's this issue, but it doesn't directly affect mm. me. It's not my problem. Mm. It's someone else's problem, not theirs. And I think that's something that I'm trying to shift and change because it shouldn't be the case. I mean, 
we should we should be a country where we're looking out for others. I mean, we're the sixth richest um, nation in in the world, yet people are living in slum conditions and slum homes. And when I say that people are dying in their homes, people often think, oh, he's exaggerating. But I've seen others. My dad was an example of it. I've, I've seen other tenants where they're battling stage four cancer and they're having to fight their providers just to not live in an, an environment full of damp or mould or cockroaches. One lady, for example, lung cancer, was living in a house full of black damp and mould. It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Yet no one talks about these issues. Yeah, I mean, it is horrendous mm. so people can understand just yeah. how bad it is what are some of the worst conditions oh, that God. you've seen some of the worst conditions that i've seen i mean that i could be here for an for an hour cockroaches damp mold ceilings collapsing on top of people i've had cupboards collapsing and knocking one lady unconscious i've been to a home where they're well, been to or seen several homes where their, their their houses or communal areas have been flooded with boiling hot water. One lady um, sustained burns, life-changing burns as a result of that. And it, I mean, the water was so hot, her daughter's rubber welly, she showed me once I arrived, were melted. It was that hot. Um, I've seen new builds flooded with water. Gosh, the list goes on. People yeah. living with cupboards falling apart. People living in their front rooms because they've had their ceilings missing or taken down and not replaced. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. There was one guy, for example, he was a disabled tenant and had to defecate in bags for almost 10 months. I think it was 10 months to a year because they just wouldn't come out and replace his broken toilet. Those are the sorts of issues that are happening behind the scenes and they're having to reach out to me. And it's been hundreds, if not thousands of tenants I've spoken to um, having issues. And the sole reason they reach out to me is because they've exhausted all other avenues and complaints avenues that they're told to go down because mm. they're just doing nothing about yeah. it. So they're coming to me out of desperation to try and help them with their situation. And that shouldn't be the case because if I wasn't here, a lot of them would still be suffering in silence and ignored. And this is a systemic issue, clearly. Yeah. And although there's organisations and providers that may and government officials that may not want to admit this is a national crisis, I'm telling you it yeah. absolutely is because yeah. I've been out there doing the work. And and when when people's eyes so clearly tell them that it's that much of an issue when, you know, just from seeing one circumstance, mm. aka, you know, your the situation you were in, it's not that there's any debate about whether we think it's right. Yeah. Everyone knows it's wrong. Mm. And if you're denying that, you're obviously, it's obvious. Mm. Like, you know, if you think about it, you know that is completely wrong. It is just pure laziness. Mm. It is, it, it's insane. And as you say, it's a hugely systemic issue because, you know, for, from the first person you'd be on the phone to mm. at Clarion versus like, kind of the people higher up mm. it's it needs a huge shift mm. to be able to change and mm. to be able to kind of get out of this not just by plastering over issues mm. and fixing things as they should but also changing the system in which that, that created these mm. issues mm. and how not that you should be doing this work for them but how do you think that this can change I mean, there needs to be, and which, I mean, I've spoken to the government about this um, and have been working alongside them and with them. But I've met with the Mayor of London. I have met with um, Michael Gove, Housing Secretary, and his team, the housing team. You name it, I've, I've met with um, the late Labour MPs and I've mm. told them, I've given them multiple ways um, of how they can fix this. I think the list was about 14 or 15 points of how they can, or how I see from yeah, my experience, they can, yeah, <laughs> they can fix these issues. 
And the thing is, all of the suggestions I gave didn't cost a lot. It didn't cost a lot of money. That's not an excuse. Um, but they will be impactful. And I think massively change the current situation for tenants and give them a voice. I mean, regulation, for example, needs to change massively. There's barely any regulation in the private and um, social housing sector. I think we need to be holding providers to account for allowing people to live in those sort of slum conditions and basically violating any sort of health and safety policies that should be going, especially after Grenfell. That annoys me and frustrates me the most is that five years on, this is still happening. And we saw what happened after Grenfell. We saw the MPs, the members of parliament, the government officials, the the members of housing providers put statements out and go out there whilst Grenfell had happened and saying how terrible it is, how bad it is, how shocked they are, how things need to change. Yet five years on, Barely anything's been done. Mm. Barely anything's been done. What's been uncovered now is people are living in the same similar conditions, but the, the same thing is happening from those fam- from what happened back when Grenfell happened. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And what the families were complaining about afterwards, and that was that the tenants were ignored. What we're seeing mm. now is tenants are still being ignored well the thing with Grenfell as well is it wasn't just afterwards before yeah they there was an entire operational group of the mm. residents within mm. the tower that had essentially raised concerns over and over and over about fire safety about all of these kind of various different things mm. you know 64% of the legally required fire doors were broken mm. or missing mm. on the night of the fire, a problem that would have cost around £30 to £130 to fix. They had brought this to the housing organisation and the association to essentially say, all of these issues and we don't feel safe and essentially putting people to live in conditions mm. that they're essentially sitting ducks for a mm. problem that's going to happen. And what is absolutely terrifying for people who don't know is that original concerns that they'd stated and had been ignored they'd done a write-up afterwards and in this write-up before the tragedy they stated that to quote only a catastrophic event will expose the ineptitude and incompetence of our landlord and bring an end to the dangerous living conditions and neglect of health and safety that they inflict upon their tenants and leaseholders that was before Grenfell fire So the fact that they are having to deal every day with the thought that they are not safe, that there are not fire doors in place, I'm sure many other issues as well that you've kind of, that you've raised. The fact that they would have to be essentially living in that, there were, there's flammable cladding Mm. 
like putting something on a building to make it look nicer mm. for residents nearby that they actually mm. do care about mm. that's essentially making a building a matchstick mm -hmm. and people having to live inside that being also organization organizing work to do their job and bringing mm. the problems to the association for that to have happened and for not only no arrests to have been made or no real inquiries in terms of actually being able to bring anyone mm. to not just justice, but also to make improvements for the future so that this never happens again. Mm. The fact that this is inherent in the mm. entire social housing mm. industry mm. is just, it's unthinkable. Mm. It's literal... Negligent. It's... it's yeah, it's negligence and Beyond it's also like that. so much more. It's yeah. like for a, apparently only 72 people, it's a fucking load, yeah. but apparently only 72 people to mm. have died in the Grenfell fire and for no one to have been held to account and nothing to be improved. The mm. amount of places that still have that flammable cladding mm. is just insane. You don't really know what to even say about it. Like, how can we change this? How can it be changed? Mm. Because if something like that mm. isn't enough to bring people to account or to mm. bring around change, then like what will be? I mean, it's a huge problem. And I said, I've said before, had, had Grenfell been uh, an office block in Canary Wharf, mm -hmm. would, we, would we have waited so long for an inquiry to happen? Would it have taken so long for it to be investigated? Absolutely not. I can tell you that for free. Yeah. Um, it's a systemic problem. And uh, housing providers would often say, oh, we don't, we don't prioritise profit we're a charity and they say that but let's use Grenfell as an example like you described and um, there's 70 so they say 72 people mm. lost their lives and we can see there in black and white the reason is as to why and what they did was they prioritized cost efficiency and cheap materials over the health and safety and lives of their tenants. That's not just a, a single issue with Grenfell. That's a systemic issue within social housing is they're doing that up and down the country. And we're even seeing it now. That's why tenants are suffering so much and having so many problems in their home. It's money being prioritised and savings being prioritised over the lives of human beings. And if I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's not disgusting and shows how bad things are, I don't know what is. I mean, I, I could not agree more. And I also think that the important thing when presenting and talking about solutions as you do is the fact that it might be more cost effective now, mm. but it's not more cost effective when you have to have your people on the phone all the time because it's mm. broken, you know, mm. less than a year after and actually isn't sorting it out. Or, you know, there's a national tragedy, like people actually dying. Mm. The change needs to be in the way that people, you know, they need to understand that it's not cost effectiveness. It's cost effectiveness in the short term mm. and it's essentially PR mm. and it's essentially them, you know, trying to put a plaster over a huge crater mm. that's never going to be able to be fixed without changing the systems. And what is so insane as part of this too is these materials that are being used in order to save money or to make things look nicer and whatever it might be are also materials that they would never allow to be used on that office block you mm, talk about. Mm. Like, I did a renovation, for example, of mm. my own home. Build, it, building regulations had to come round and check that everything was safe mm. because I'd done a big renovation, right? Mm. The fact that they can make the time out of the day to be sending me letters all the time, and I know that it will be different associations, mm. but the fact that I can get letters and letters and letters being like, we need to come round and check this when the renovation's done, mm where the hell 
is the checking of health and safety of people that you know for sure are not in that yeah. kind of place. I mean, where's the governing body that regulates the quality and materials being used to knock up social homes? Because I'm going to new builds after seven years that are absolutely falling apart, pipes corroded, and that's why we're having boiling hot water pouring out of their ceilings. And I mean, there's no evacuation plan for that. There's no evacuation plan if you're on the 11th floor of a tower block and all the pipes burst in your ceiling in your home with boiling hot water for how, how you're going to escape, how you're going to get yeah. out of that. There's no evacuation plan for that. That's not even taken into consideration, but it's a reality. And I've seen it happen time and time again and like you say like you said in terms of regulation of materials and whatnot they kind of regulate themselves mm. the developers and the providers and what we're seeing and what we've seen is they prefer cost efficiency and saving money over anything else and those two go hand in hand and it's it's just uh it's it's just going to be a disaster if that's the case because they're going to want to save money and ultimately, it goes back to the tenants. They're going to have to pay the price, whether it's with their health and safety, whether it's with the rent that they're going to have to pay, whether it's with the leaseholders and what they're charged in order to fix issues and broken doors, etc. Or ultimately, with their lives like we saw with Grenfell. One of the most frustrating things is that there are no clear steps to be that people are that they're kind of taking to get out of it. Mm. Um, if there was this you know, longer roadmap, for example, that could have come out of the Grenfell inquiry mm. to just say, these are the things that we're actually going to do. And, mm. you know, this will be banned. The fact that other buildings still have the exact same cladding is just, I mean, kind of just goes to show exactly mm. how little that it is mm. kind of being cared about. Do you think the situation would improve with different leadership? So with my work, I always try to keep politics out of it only mm -hmm. because I don't want it to detract from the right, issue at hand. Course. And um, the message I'm trying to get forward in housing and the conditions of people's homes and the crisis should be front and centre. However, politics does absolutely affect, absolutely, I mean, it affects everything. Politics affects everything in our day-to-day -day lives. Do I think if it's between Conservative and Labour, Labour's going to perform any better from what I've seen so far? Sadly, uh, there's nothing for me to grasp onto to say that they're right. going to do to, to do any better. I mean, yes, there are MPs within Labour that absolutely care and they do a great job. Like I'm going to name Karen Buck, for example, mm -hmm. who has been doing this for, for years and talking about housing. But when if we're not getting any answers from or or talk, no, if your leader, for example, isn't talking about these issues or creating any plans on how we're supposed to tackle it or how we're going to make it any different and better for tenants and give them more power and more voice what what, what are tenants voting for because mm. i mean ultimately whether you're conservative or labor you're going to be sending your mps out in two years time telling them to go and beg for votes on estates and urban areas where people have been dealing with disrepair and living in dangerous accommodation you're going to beg them and promise them x y and z then why aren't you doing it now why mm -hmm. are you not trying to create improvements now give them why are you not giving them hope why are you not telling them what's going to be done differently why are you not making housing and the housing crisis a priority it always comes down to one answer to me and that's because they don't live in it they yeah. don't live in it i mean they get to go back to their nice homes their, their homes are safe i'm sure it's been regulated whenever it was built or whatnot if they're living in private homes, if they've built their own homes, yeah. Kia Starmer, Rishi Sunak, they're going to be going back to their nice mm. homes. They don't have to worry if they've got cockroaches, uh, mice, damp, mould, if a ceiling's going to have to going to collapse um, above them, if they're going to have hot water pouring from, pouring from their ceilings. They don't have to worry for that, worry about that. So it's not a priority to them. And I see that, but it should be. Mm. And they should, instead of being concerned about grabbing the title of prime minister they need to be more concerned about the job at hand and those suffering and those that need help and what i've seen over the last few months is that 
from all sides, the leaders are more concerned about grabbing the title of prime minister than doing an actual decent job and actually dealing with a crisis like the housing crisis and people living in squalor and slum conditions. And it's a, it's a real shame. It's a real shame. I'm, I'm disappointed. And I can say I, I, I'm disappointed in conservatives, like a lot of tenants have told me they're mm -hmm. disappointed in conservatives and the fact they've done nothing over the last 12 years to tackle this. But I've had loads of tenants too tell me they're disappointed in Labour's lack of response and Labour's lack of response from the top when it comes to housing and poor conditions mm. and MPs. And I mean, it's across the country. And this housing crisis, it, it's, not, it's not just one party to blame for it. I mean, you look at London, London's run by majority Labour councils. Mm. And I mean, the housing crisis here is absolutely yeah. horrific. I can tell you that because I've been around London. Mm. But that's not to say up north, it's not worse with um, the Conservatives and Conservative constituencies. But yeah. it's across the country. It's a national crisis and every single party should be jumping on board and trying to create solutions for this. Unfortunately, they're not given enough yet. They're going to come out and beg for our votes. And it's a shame. It really is a sad state of affairs. Really, really is. Mm. And, and what can people who are angry about it mm. do. The onus should not be on people. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> it should be on regulation, but yeah. No, absolutely. Shaming um, their providers, getting onto their um, MPs and councillors. And, like, I don't want to say all landlords are absolutely horrific. Um, and I don't want to say all MPs are bad at responding to housing conditions. Could they do enough? Pro probably, they could. They yeah. could all do enough to, to shine a light on it and spread the message of poor housing, even if it's a simple tweet. It's not hard yeah, to put yeah. a tweet out. It's not hard to email your, your leaders and tell them this is a concern of constituents. Because I know, I know for a fact, because I've seen it firsthand, the amount of emails that individual MPs get about housing issues on a year-to-year -year basis. And it's absolutely disgraceful that it's been going on for years and there's been no real mention mm -hmm. about it publicly. There's more that can be done on, on the sides of MPs and government officials. But in regards to tenants, collective action, going to unions, joining tenants' unions, you can speak to places, charities like Shelter if you have any issues. Obviously, I'm here. I'm just one person and I've had... Thousands of yeah. people come to me, but I'm going to continue doing the work that I was doing a year and a half, a year and a half ago. And I know you asked me earlier, oh, what sort of changed in, in the last year and a half? The one thing that hasn't changed is my commitment to tenants yeah, and them being the priority. I mean, like a year and a half ago, I was going around knocking on estates by myself in, in, the, in the winter. And like people must have thought I was absolutely weird. But I mean, I'm still doing that. I'm still climbing, climbing tower box. I'm going around the country by myself doing it. Mm. So I'm very, very much still committed. And tenants just need to talk about it. Whether you're suffering with disrepair or not, what we can understand is that this is wrong. We know the difference between right and wrong as human beings. A child would be able to tell you that this situation is completely wrong. Um, we need to be having those conversations. And it's not just in the social sector, but private sector too. I mean, it is honestly like the Wild West when mm. it comes to landlords. And again, not all private landlords are terrible, but there are some out there who are, it should be absolutely criminal the way in which they charge renters ridiculous prices whilst having them live with missing ceilings, damp, mould, cockroaches, mm. everything I've described in social housing. And arguably, it's much worse in private rented accommodation because a lot more people are privately renting. In social housing, mm. it's 4 million people, around 4 million. In private housing, it's a lot more. So holding people accountable, holding landlords accountable, holding people that public figures, public servants that are meant to represent you accountable too, because ultimately you're going to be voting for them. Mm.
what's what's the big goal for you are you in terms of I know that you've taken this on yourself and you've done so incredibly Mm. am I right in thinking that your original did you originally want to be an artist I did yes yes I did and what do you want from your career in this and also outside of that um, I mean, my perspective has completely changed. Yeah. Um, I never thought I'd be dealing, if you had asked me five years ago, would we be doing anything in housing? I'd be like, absolutely not. That's boring. <laughs> I would. I would. Um, but it's funny how life works, I think. And I still want to be an artist. I still want to paint. I still want to be creative. That's, that's just within me. That's what I do. And for the last year and a half, I haven't been able to do that. I haven't been able to pick up a paintbrush. Um, and that's the number one thing that I wanted to do. However, housing's come along and the conditions people are living in these social issues and they they mean a lot more. I don't think you can put a price or satisfaction on that and helping tenants get out of these sorts of situations. And I want to take it very much to the end. I want to see change in government. I, and I'll make it clear. I don't care who it is that's willing to make that change. I don't care what party you're affiliated to. Mm. I don't care what your views are. I want this crisis fixed, this housing crisis fixed. I want tenants to have more power. I want better regulation so that mm. um, future generations aren't having to suffer like people have and social housing tenants have for the last 40 or 50 years so I will go to the very end and I'm not planning on going anywhere until whether it's this government or the next government or the government after takes this on and deals with it and I will keep applying pressure I don't care I've always said I will call out absolutely whoever it is that I don't think is doing their job Mm. because I think they should whether you're in government or not if you're not willing to do your job or do it effectively or do enough to create change then you should get out of your position and give it to someone that will that's yeah. the bottom line. When there's people's lives at stake and there's people's livelihoods, when there's people, you know, at this uh, one point, and I mean, even now, mm. it was, you should have been able to be at university yeah. being a student. Mm-hmm. And not only were you dealing with your father passing away, mm-hmm. but also then having to deal every day as a full-time fucking job yeah. dealing with people to be able to live in normal, what should yeah. be normal conditions. Mm. I can imagine now you're very fulfilled on the everyday because you're doing what you know what you love and yeah. what you want to be doing. But I can imagine also it's probably quite exhausting. Yeah. Doing something that you care about so mm-hmm. much and that you have so much emotional investment mm-hmm. in changing. Mm-hmm. How do you look after yourself? <laughs> I just uh, keep going to be honest, and I have been warned in the past of like burning out and whatnot, but. I know how I felt and where my mindset and where I was mentally when my just after my dad passed away and it was an absolute gutter. I mean, it couldn't yeah. have got any worse, I don't think. And it mean, I was pushed right to the edge, to the very edge. And um, I, I know emotionally and mentally right now I can handle this and what's going on. And every time I go into a tenant's house and they're suffering with disrepair, I can see the stress. It brings back those emotions and I often do leave absolutely depressed. Um, but the satisfaction I get is taking them straight out of that situation and having things change um, for them. I mean, in regards to mentally, I think my housing provider and my situation robbed me of my ability to grieve for my dad after he had passed away because of the disrepair and whatnot that I was living in. But I'm I'm in a I'm in an okay place at the moment. And I'm not gonna lie, it's still not easy. There's still days and times where it's hard and you think about things, but this mentally is keeping me busy at the moment. Um, which I'm, which I'm 
glad about, I think. Um, but I do, at some point, want to have a holiday, a break, even if it's temporarily. But I did go to Ghana to see my grandma, who's my dad's my dad's mum for the first time. But even while I was out there, I was still taking calls yeah. whilst out shopping and from yeah. tenants over here, trying to help their situation, sending emails on the way up on the coach up to Leicester to go to uni to MPs and housing providers for tenants, sat in lectures doing the exact same. It was difficult and it was really, really hard. I can't lie looking back, but I'm glad I've got through that bit. But I just genuinely want change. I want someone to take on this housing housing crisis and, and treat it like the priority it should be. And then after that, I mean, I would much rather not be here having to do this. I really, really would. If, if housing was just a complete paradise and it was just running smoothly, I'd be much happier and I would have had a whole different experience, I think. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's not the case and that's not how life works. So I'm just going to continue until I can't no more, I think, yeah. and, until this is fixed and try and take time out for myself when yeah. I can and where yeah. I can. Please do. Yeah. I'm so in awe of what you've done Thank you. um, and what you continue to do. Mm. And for people who are listening and want to be able to mm. help how how can they help the cause how can they is there somewhere we can donate in terms of your work i know that you're doing a lot of this for free i yeah. know that they, you know you're obviously not being yeah. paid for it in lots of ways how can we support um helping you get there and helping you as well as an activist and person currently i have a gofundme set up and that is still there for anyone that did want to donate um, in any way it doesn't matter what it is um it is still there but just keeping the conversation going about poor housing and the housing crisis up until past the next election. We need to make it a priority. Otherwise, more people are going to continue dying in their homes, essentially. And the cost of living crisis hasn't even really kicked in yet. It's going to get so much worse. People are going to be evicted Mm. and it's going to honestly go from bad to worse. And we need to keep this conversation going. But I want to I want to make sure I give a massive thank you to everyone on social media so far who's carried my work this far, because without them, I wouldn't have it wouldn't have grown at the speed that it has and it's genuinely down to them and they're constant sharing and they don't realize what a retweet does but yeah. it, it's it's huge and it's massive and it gets answers for tenants ultimately and yeah. yeah i'm forever grateful to them but also like i mentioned earlier there are mps that genuinely do want change and i'm glad that there is a ray of light there too within politics that people do genuinely want to want to get this sorted and get this fixed but we have to make sure we do it in the correct way and in an informed way um, and informed by tenants and that are living in poor housing and living in social housing and private housing that know what it's like to really suffer and know what it's like that to to know what it's going to take to fix this crisis for them once and for all you're amazing thank, thank you. you so much for coming on <laughs> thank you Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com